Good afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Hope you're having a great Friday. Can't be worse than the Jay's Thursday. You maybe just want to flush that one. 11 nothing loss to end what was shaping up to be a very good series against Tampa Bay Rays. You still take three out of five. You get the season series back to seven and eight. So you still have a chance in that final four game series to take the season series. If you care about the tiebreaker for wild card standings, you jump the Rays by half a game in those wild card standings by way of taking three or five against them. But there's no way to move forward from a series where the last game was an 11 to nothing loss uh, and feel any kind of good about it. I was at the game last night. So I did pregame from the Rogers center. And then I went down and met friends in seats. Uh, Those friends were up against the clock to leave by six. I never, ever leave sporting events early. Uh, When that one became 11 to nothing, I was okay walking out with them uh, in the ninth inning so that they could get on with what they needed to do. Um, Not my favorite thing to do, not my proudest, but uh, 11-0 is 11-0. Tough one for the Jays. Second iffy Kevin Gosman start in a row. Trevor Richards struggles. The bats were ice cold. Again, though, big picture. Took three out of five against the Rays. You remain in the second wildcard spot, technically tied with Seattle for the first one, but they own the tiebreaker. Half a game up on Tampa Bay. And the most important number, you're still five games up on Baltimore, insulated for that final playoff spot, which is notable because the Orioles are back in town. The numbers tell me the Jays and Orioles have only played 13 times this year. I do not believe them. It feels... Like many, many more than that. Uh, Very backloaded as well. The Orioles, of course, getting good before most people anticipated them getting good. A thorn in the side of the Blue Jays and other wildcard hopefuls. A thorn in the side of the American League East. We'll talk about a lot of Orioles stuff throughout the show. You're pretty familiar with them at this point. But we've got Chris Young coming on, former Major League outfielder. He is part of the broadcast crew tonight. By the way, it's an Apple TV Plus game tonight. So... What that means is you got to fire up Apple TV plus it's free, but the game won't be broadcast on Sportsnet television channels. Uh, It'll be Chris Young, Melanie Newman, Trisha Whitaker, and Russell Dorsey uh, on the call for that one. Should be fun. That's a good crew. We've had Melanie on Jay's talk plus a bunch of times. Um, Trisha Whitaker has been here all week covering the Rays series. And Chris Young, as you'll see at 3.30 when we bring him on, is a lot of fun. A very smart guy as well. We're also going to have J.D. Bunkus on a little bit later. Uh, Starting Monday, J.D. is going to have his own show on this station, the J.D. Bunkus podcast, um, but it will air on 590 as well, so don't let the title fool you. He'll be all over Jay's stuff, Leaf stuff, Raptor stuff, deep dives on the NFL. Uh, That's weekdays at 9 on Sports at 590, The Fan, and wherever you get your podcasts. So we'll have J.D. on a little bit later see how he's feeling about the weekend, see if uh, maybe he has some best bets for us heading into this series. We're also going to talk to Ben Shulman momentarily. I mentioned that you can't get the game tonight on 
Sportsnet Television. You can still get it on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Ben Wagner off for the weekend. Ben Shulman in. You heard him once a little earlier in the year as well. Um, this series against the Baltimore Orioles shapes up as follows. Bullpen night tonight for the Blue Jays up against Jordan Lyles. Jose Brios against Kyle Bradish on Saturday. Alec Manoa against Dean Kramer on Sunday. The Orioles are five games back of the Jays. Now, the Orioles are chasing more than this, just the Jays, but the Jays don't really care how many games behind Tampa or Seattle the Orioles are. The important thing for the Jays is if you come out of this series with a sweep, Baltimore is eight games behind you with 15 to go. You have more or less locked up your playoff spot. Baltimore sweeps you. You only have a two-game lead heading into that with three games left against Baltimore. You start to sweat a little bit. This, As much as the Rays series was big for aligning the three wildcard teams had one team dominated that series. Uh, This is one where we heard last time the Jays played Baltimore, Ross Stripling, Anthony Bass, guys like that. Talk about burying the Orioles. Jays mostly did the job last time. They have a chance to finish it here because the Orioles are hanging around on the call for that series on the sports radio network alongside Ben Nicholson. Smith will be Ben Shulman. He joins us now. Ben, how are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Blake? I'm doing well. Um, so you have, we've talked to you on the show before. People know you, you, you do locked on Jay's podcast. You call games for the Fort Wayne tin caps. Gotta ask you the Fort Wayne tin caps season ending with a rain out. Uh, that is that, that feels weird. Karmically. It feels like a weird way to wrap up a season. Uh, how'd you feel about things ending in that fashion? First of all, I applaud your research department for uh, for that fact. That's, That's me. Great. I'm um, the research but, department. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's weird. Uh, I mean, uh, if you if you looked at the Tin Caps record, they weren't exactly playoff bound anyway, uh, and the team who had just played them was. So you know, there's a chance we could have grinded out that last game, but I don't think it would have done anyone really much good, except you know, for us in the booth who wanted to talk a little bit more. Uh, but it's actually my second baseball season in a row. Uh, that's ended on a rainout. Last year, I was in the the Cape League, where a lot of college players play in the summer, and we ended on a rainout as well. So, it, I'm hoping it doesn't become a trend, but it's at least a little bit of a theme right now uh, to my baseball broadcast career. Well, I would say that you're safe this weekend because Rogers Center has a dome, of course. Uh, but having been rained on at the dome earlier this summer, uh, I don't know. All bets are off, man. Um, but you are here. <laughs> you're you're going to be in the booth calling the, calling these games with Ben Nicholson Smith. You you were around yesterday. Uh, obviously, the big highlight getting to meet me in person finally. Um, how was how was yesterday for you? And how does it feel getting ready to do these games from the dome instead of remotely? It's a dream come true. Uh, I mean, you know, when they gave me the opportunity to do that Anaheim series, that was also a a dream. But the chance now to get here and be at the ballpark with the fans, especially, of course, you know, the ballpark that I grew up going to as a kid and and watching, you know, Alex Rios and Adam Lind and Marco Scudero and and when I was, you know, a little bit older, the Bautista and Encarnacion teams, to to be here in this environment where so much of my – baseball passion was built uh it's it's phenomenal i I can't wait for first pitch yeah it should be uh it should be very great um should be a fun one uh any anything this is maybe a little inside broadcasting but you did the you did the series last time 
It was great. Um, you learn anything from that one that you're carrying into this one? Yeah, um, you know, expect anything at any time. Uh, again, you know, not to not to say anything bad about the Tin Caps. They weren't exactly the power team of the high A Midwest League. And the first at bat that I called, or first plate appearance that I called uh, of the Angels series, George Springer homer to center field on like the fourth pitch I had ever called at the major league level. So uh, you know, expect anything at any time. Um, but I think you know the main thing that I learned from it is is that it's just baseball. You know, whether it was Springer in center field or the tin cap center fielder, Robert Hassel III, who got traded for Juan Soto. Um, <laughs> it, it's once the ball's in play, the ball's in play, and the guy's running to first base, and the distances are the same. And next year, the pitch clock will be the same, so I guess that'll make it even more similar. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's the same game at the end of the day, no matter what scale. And so uh, the best thing I think I learned from that was to not treat it any different than I would, really, any other game. Well, the game that you got to check out as you were kind of getting your feet under you yesterday was not a great one. Let's hope the three you're getting are a little better than yesterday's 11 to nothing loss. Uh, that was a pretty strong series for the Blue Jays until that game. Um, does ending the series in that way, even though you still won the best of five against the Rays, um, does that take anything away from it for you? Do you think it can, it can be a, you know, a small momentum killer or anything like that? I don't think it's huge. Um, you know, I, I think it would have been a big momentum boost if they won and took four out of five from the Rays. But in a baseball season, you know, you're gonna get you're gonna get blown out. Everyone really is, whether you're the Astros or the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Blue Jays. At some point, you're going to get blown out, uh, and especially when Shane McClanahan is on the mound on the other side, you're incredibly likely to get blown out unless you're playing, you know, really, really well at that time. Unfortunately, both games that I've come to watch and not broadcast for the Jays this year have been uh, McClanahan starts on the other side. So I have not seen a ton of success on the non-broadcast side, but uh, I, I don't think it, it hurts them too much. They still won a really important series. I just think that they could have potentially had even more momentum, you know, if they had finished off the series, but at the end of the day, they're still playing incredible baseball over the last month. You mentioned McClanahan. Uh, that was something else yesterday, especially considering it was his first start back off the IL and he was uh, limited in terms of pitch count, certainly not in terms of pitch effectiveness. When you see a guy pitching at that level, obviously Kevin Gosman has had an excellent season despite these last two starts. Alec Manoa can, you know, match at least ERA kind of stats with Shane McClanahan. But when you see McClanahan pitching like that in that kind of a situation, does it kind of remind you just what you're up against in a wild card series? And, you know, I, I think most Jays fans will be pretty confident in Manoa Gosman stripling as a one, two, three against another team. Um, but man, I, I guess I, I'm just kind of circling around. McClanahan is awesome. Um, does that give you a little bit of trepidation heading into what is likely a wild card series against maybe not Tampa Bay, but a team with Tampa Bay ish? Uh, level pitching. Yeah, I think you realize the scale and what the playoffs are like. They added a team to the playoffs, obviously, but I think the thing people were worried about is is a bad team going to get in, and it looks like on both sides, on both in both leagues, that's not going to be the case. Everyone is good uh, that has made their way to you know an eighty-seven to ninety-five win pace that's going to fit inside that wild card. And if you look at the four teams, you mentioned the Rays. They pitch incredibly, even outside of McClanahan. It was 
impressive to beat Rasmussen the day before. And then you go over to Seattle. Well, you're going to face your old friend Robbie Ray. Luis Castillo got traded there. Logan Gilbert's good. And then Cleveland might be the worst of all because you got Bieber, McKenzie, and then the Canadian Cal Quantrill could be the three. I mean, it's everyone has good pitching. You you pretty much won't make it to the playoffs without good pitching. And who can hit good pitching at the end of the day seems to usually solve uh, the question of who's going to move on. And that has been the Jays of time. Nobody hotter right now than Bo Bichette, really. Uh, and he got the favor of, um, no, but they're just not throwing Mike Trout anything remotely close to the strike zone after those yeah. uh, those couple games in a row with home runs there. Um, someone who's not locked in quite as much as Vladimir Guerrero Jr. right now. And, you know, I'm sure you'll talk about this in the bottom of the first tonight. He is on a nine-game hitting streak, but yesterday he looked visibly frustrated. During those nine games, he struck out nine times and only walked once. And he has a 680 OPS on base plus slugging over the last month or so. Um, What are you noticing with Vlad at the plate? And does that moment of frustration that the broadcast picked up yesterday concern you at all? I'm not too concerned. I guess I'll start on that. You know, I think there were times this year where we saw, you know, he's a little more stoic, but moments of frustration from Bo as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's not fun to not be, you know, hitting the way you think you can hit. And, and Vladdy's, you know, if this is the floor, which I don't know if it is, but if this is the floor, Vladdy's floor is pretty darn good considering uh, you know, every other guy on the team would take his OPS right now. It's the best on the team. But, you know, it's it's a lot of the same stuff, I think. It's pitches low. Uh, the ground ball rate is high. And especially it looked like in the lead-up to home run 100, but in general, a, a little more chasing. You know, I think he's he's pressing potentially to try and, you know, correct his stuff because he knows what he is to this team and what he's supposed to be in terms of leadership. And, and he's just 23. So I... I'm not overly concerned. You know, if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. ends the season with an 825 OPS, I, I don't think like his career is ruined. You know, he's he's 23. People go through ups and downs, and and a lot of adjustments are going to be talked about. I think in the off season, and and you try to do as much as you can on the fly. And Bo figured out a way to do it on the fly, and perhaps Vlad can too. He's had some hot stretches this year. Uh, he's just also had some cold stretches, and that was just something we didn't really see last year. Last year was hot, hot, hot all the time. But in general, there's a little less offense. In general, guys hitting the ball in the air has gone down this year. They're also, for the whole team, this is not Vladdy-related, you know, they, they had a, a curse in the fact they didn't play at home for the beginning of last year. But if you want to hit home runs, it's a little bit of a blessing to be at TD Park and Salem Field. So I, I think there were a lot of factors that changed stuff around this year. But I, I think there's a good chance he gets out of it this year and starts hitting like we know that he can. And even if not, he's still very good and can really be great going forward in the next couple of years. When you look at, you know, you mentioned Bo. He was in a, a spot similar to that. Um, and some of what's helped Bo Bichette turn things around is a tweak in approach. Still still aggressive. He's still Bo Bichette. Um, but going up there with a, a slightly different plan, a little more selectively aggressive. Um, what do you think we can take from what's happened with Bo um, in terms of, you know, looking at Vlad the next little bit here and if he can turn around for for the play, turn it around for the playoffs. Geez, sorry, Ben. Um, or is no it problem. a matter of, you know, is, is it as simple as, well, just have patience because hitters of this caliber will eventually figure it out. 
That would be left to number one, I think, is, is you know, how much were people all over Bo before this streak? I mean, like, all over him, and now he's everyone's favorite player. It's, it's not, you know, baseball isn't basketball, and it isn't, uh, you know, football or hockey. It's not as easy to be consistent because you have to go out there and prove it six out of seven days a week or sometimes seven out of seven days a week. So I, I think a little bit of patience needs to be exercised. You know, Adley Rushman is, is coming to the Rogers Center tonight. He's older than, than Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr. They just happened to break in really, really young. They were in the majors when he was at Oregon State. So I, I think patience is the biggest key. And, and that small, small adjustments can bring big results. You never know what's going to be the, the small thing that ends up Tweaking a guy completely, the Jose Bautista, get your mm. foot down earlier. All of a sudden, you're the premier power hitter in the American League. Something will click. These guys work really hard, and you have to imagine, you know, Vladdy has talked about working with his uncle a ton, and I'm sure they are in communication and, and you know, looking at stuff. Of course, Vladdy's in communication with the staff with the Blue Jays, too. And, and I think there's a good chance that we blanket at some point Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is lighting the world on fire again. Well, what better time to uh, heat up than right now, a couple weeks out from the playoffs here. Uh, also kind of a big weekend because you have a chance to, in the words of the Blue Jays when they last went into Baltimore, bury the Orioles. And that's not in a mean way. That's in a, these guys, despite their youth, despite a tough schedule, have hung around and remained just five games back of the Blue Jays and four and a half games back of a playoff spot. Um, how big do you think this is this weekend for the Jays? Not not necessarily just for the standings, but we're getting pretty close to the end here to where you can start thinking about things like, huh, how does the rotation line up for the last couple games of the season? And how does that make it line up for the wild card series? Well, if the Orioles hang around, you've got those last three games of the season against the Orioles. Um, I'd imagine this, this team would love to enter that final series of the season, not having to worry about the Orioles catching them. Yeah, it's it's big for the the comfort level. Not I wouldn't say like relaxation, but like a little bit less stress and like you said room to to fiddle a little more as you approach the playoffs. They'll still be jockeying for position, but if you even take two out of three from the Orioles, you put yourself in a really good spot, but like you said uh, a little bit earlier, you know, if you sweep the Orioles and they're pushed a full what is it, eight games back? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of a, a wrap at that point uh, on them catching you. They would have to go on a miracle run, and the Blue Jays would have to crater. So I, I think that this series is massive for those adjustments. Like you mentioned, you know, the Orioles are a great story, and I think this is the series where you can keep them to just that. A, a good story and a team probably on the rise. Definitely one to look out for next season, but this is not the year for the Orioles if the Jays can go out and deliver in this series and kind of push them to the back burner like a couple other teams like the White Sox, Minnesota, and Boston are, at least in terms of the wild card race. Yeah, there's a, you know, the Orioles are the uh, the monkey's paw of the more balanced schedule, right? It's like all the AL East teams, please, yeah. please balance the schedule out so we don't have to play each other as much and the four <laughs> of us can get the playoff spots. And then the monkey's paw is like, how about if five of you are competing for <laughs> those playoff spots as you beat up the AL Central. Um, ben Schulman, tonight, your first call for a home game at Rogers Center, and according to the Blue Jays' website, Trevor Richards will start tonight. Uh, we knew that it was going to be a bullpen day. 
a little surprised to see Richard's name there after throwing 29 pitches yesterday. Yeah, it wouldn't have been my first guess. I thought, you know, uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith had reported earlier, and I, and I was thinking the same, that there's a good shot that Julian Merriweather uh, might get that start. But Julian had said that he wasn't sure yesterday, and Schneider had mentioned, you know, before yesterday's game that they were playing it a bit by ear. So uh, I would imagine there's something they like about this matchup. Uh, Richards is, you know, a former starter. Now, obviously, that wouldn't mean going back-to-back days, but it could mean that 29 pitches – doesn't totally tax his arm in the way that it might for other relievers. So it's definitely an interesting choice, but I, you know, we'll, we'll all react to it. I'm sure a lot more once we see how it goes, if it goes well, I'm sure everyone will think it was a great idea. And if it doesn't, then they'll think the opposite, but I I can imagine, you know, the bulk of the innings tonight uh, in terms of out of the pen, will go to Yusei Kikuchi. Yeah. And so what is your expectation for that? And not even in terms of, you know, like I, I think, at this point, I'm basically just expecting two two earned over two innings. That that seems to be the Yusei Kikuchi as a follower line uh, that we're going to get. But we're heading into a, a stretch now where after after today's game, the Jays may only need a fifth starter slash bullpen day twice the rest of the way. And you could get that down to once if you really didn't care that much about um, specifically how your rotation lines up for the wild card. Or, I mean, there's also the scenario where your spot is locked up ahead of time and you don't really care about those last couple games. Um, but we're heading for a, a stretch here where there might not be a bullpen or fifth man day very often anymore. Um, if that scenario comes, if that's how it plays out and you say Kikuchi continues to look like this, um, what do you do with him? Do you, do you just leave him out there? And, and he, you know, he didn't get into an 11 nothing game yesterday in part because he's probably penciled to, to pitch a lot today. But there is just no situation, it seems, other than a bullpen day in which his team's comfortable using him. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see, like you said, if they do one or two more days. I, I would I would think they probably do two because they are going to try and line up their rotation for the wild card series. And I think that probably keeps him around. I don't know how much he's viewed as like a lefty specialist or something like that out of the pen. Uh, so, but I think he's, he's here for the bullpen days. I mean, it was he or him or Mitch white going down. Uh, what was that about a week ago now? And obviously Kikuchi would have to go through waivers and white wouldn't, although I don't think uh, the baseball world as a whole really thought Kikuchi was likely to get claimed off waivers if he would go down there. But it seems like they would like him uh, to be the bullpen day guy for now. I'm sure we'll hear more uh, coming up shortly from John Schneider, but I would say as long as bullpen days are in play, he's probably in that bullpen. Well, uh, let's hope it starts trending in the right direction. I'd, I'd settle for even two over three. You know, if you got two over four, it'd feel like a, a minor miracle. The, the bullpen not in bad shape tonight, though. If Richards is going to go at the top, um, you have Merriweather, Kikuchi, Meza, and Romano all pretty fresh. Uh, ben Schulman. You are pretty fresh as well. Had a couple days off. You got that rain out in your last uh, your last Fort Wayne Tin Caps game. So expecting big things from you today, tomorrow, and Sunday on the Sportsnet Radio Network call with Ben Nicholson-Smith. Uh, thanks for taking the time out, buddy. Thanks so much for having me. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Anthony Bass was part of the 2009 Fort Wayne Tin Caps Midwest League Championship team. So. Got to talk to him about that yesterday. That was a lot of fun. But thanks for having me. I hope to come back on soon. I hope Anthony Bass gets into the game tonight so you can uh, share a little bit more about <laughs> what he was like back in 09. Thanks, Ben.
That was Ben Shulman uh, of Locked On Jays, play-by-play voice of the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, and play-by-play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays this weekend on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Ben Wagner's off, so the call will be Ben Shulman and Ben Nicholson-Smith. Yes, as people have said in the text line, uh, it's a little confusing um, to have that number of Ben's juggling spots, but that's... uh, that's how it is. That's how it goes. Um, a reminder as well, before we take a break here, that uh, tonight's game is on Apple TV Plus on television. So no Sportsnet television broadcast tonight. You'll have to fire up Apple TV Plus, which is free. Um, you can get it fairly easily on most of your devices. Uh, just make sure you do that ahead of time. We're going to take a break. When we come back, you'll get to hear one of the voices you'll be hearing on that broadcast tonight. Uh, 13-year MLB vet and MLB network analyst Chris Young joins us next on Jays Talk Plus. On Sports at 590, the fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. The Jays finally play another team other than the Tampa Bay Rays after five in a row against Tampa. Uh, but it's a team they played so, so much lately. The Baltimore Orioles tonight's game comes to you. Seven Oh seven first pitch. Uh, it'll be on the sports radio network. It will also be on Apple TV. Plus if you're tuning in on Apple TV plus um, it's free, make sure you give yourself some time to add it to your device on that call. will be Melanie Newman, Trisha Whitaker, Russell Dorsey, and our next guest, Chris Young, Chris, how are you, man? Good. How you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm great. Thank you for coming on. Um, I guess before we get into the specifics of tonight's game, how has the Apple TV Plus experience been for you guys so far? I know, you know, you guys are trying to do something a, a little different, and I'm familiar with your stuff from MLB Network and, and Melanie on, on the Orioles, Trisha on the on the Rays, etc. Um, how's it been bringing all those people together and trying to do something a little different with the broadcast? It's been great. I mean, we, we brought in talent from all over the place with Russell Dorsey, Trisha Whitaker, Melanie's doing an amazing job with the play-by-play. And with the fans, it's been great. When I run into fans, they've been loving it. As soon as they figure out how to download the app and get the game for free, all the things that you explained in the open, once they get past that part, it seems like it's been great feedback and fans have really been enjoying the game and, and we're having a great time. You not being so far removed from your playing days, obviously a 13-year MLB vet. Um, when you watch these games, and I, I know that the the Apple TV Plus broadcast will, will put some analytics up on the screen and stuff like that. Um, do you find yourself wondering, uh, you know, what if you had access to some of that stuff when you were going, what you could have done with it? Man, honestly, I feel like I may have missed the generation that I should have played in. I mean, the players have so much access to to these numbers that help them improve their game. And us, I mean, it could be a benefit at times to where we're going out and we don't know too much, so we're just going out competing and playing, kind of like the Shed is doing right now. But, but the information, if you learn how to use it correctly, it could be a huge advantage for your game. Uh, yeah, and you'd also have the benefit of, well, the rule changes that are coming are going to make it a little easier for guys like yourself who could steal a base. Exactly. <laughs> well, one, with the with the replay, I feel like the replay kind of took the stolen base away because you had to be extremely safe to be safe, and and those close plays always seem like it went, you know, to the 
defender. But now with the bigger bases, I think it balances it out to where you'll see guys being aggressive again out there on the bases. You still have a few guys doing it, but it's like the elite guys that are still in bases. So now you'll get the other guys who can still go out there and get after it. You you mentioned the review and the larger bases there. Will a larger base, like, like I'm trying to think of, like visualize what a sliding technique looks like and how many guys pop up off the base after they get there. Will the larger bases make that a little easier to do that without coming off? I think it will make a difference. So, when I saw the rule change with the larger base, the first thing that popped in my mind was the collisions at first base that will be minimized. But after that, when you're thinking about stolen bases, majority of guys are going in, you know, head first when you're trying to steal a base. If that's the case, you see guys bang, bang plays all the time that are out. And I think all those bang, bang plays now turn around to where a player being safe and a pitcher having to really focus even more on their slide steps again. Yeah, it'd be interesting to watch how, how that uh, how that plays out. And, you know, I, I think of a guy like Manoa who mostly um, pitches out of the stretch anyway. Maybe it doesn't have a big impact, but a guy like Kevin Gosman, who's a little more deliberate, uh, maybe that affects him. Neither of those guys pitching tonight. Uh, Chris, it'll be a bullpen day on the Blue Jays' side. They've done this a couple times of late. Um, what do you make of, of that strategy? The Jays sent Mitch White down to AAA. Um, you know, he hadn't pitched particularly well since coming over from the Dodgers. Yusei Kikuchi's now in the bullpen. Um, is it a little tough to manage, like, as a... I, I know you were on the hitter side, not the pitching staff side, but um, can that create a little bit of discomfort, not knowing who's going to start and having to cobble together those bullpen days? I think it depends on what type of team you are and, and how you're built. I was just talking to Trisha Whitaker from the Rays, and they get excited for bullpen days because <laughs> that's, that's their strength. So when you think about the Blue Jays, when you you're trying to find a long guy. Kikuchi hasn't been able to do it this year. You know, maybe Merriweather starts it off today. You just don't have too many options of innings eaters. You're always trying to get to those late in the bullpen guys, which you just have to earn your way to that seventh inning, and it's tough to piece that together. But the good thing that the Blue Jays have going, you have Barrios on the mound tomorrow. You have Manoa on the mound after that. Then you have the off day. So that may impact the way that Snyder's able to manage the bullpen today and really go after your guns as early as possible, as early as the fifth or sixth inning. They've also put a, a speedy outfield behind the, the bullpen guys. Toppy will be in left, Springer in center, and uh, a guy you played with, Jackie Bradley Jr., out in right field. Um, ha have you gotten a chance to catch up with Jackie yet since, since you've been here? And, you know, how do you think he's fitting with the Blue Jays so far? It seems like he's fitting good. He's, he understood the role coming into the season. After a rough patch with Boston, coming over with a new opportunity, it seems like he's locked in. When one thing you know he's going to do, he's going to go out there and play good defense and, and kind of play his role at this point. We haven't had a chance to catch up. We were going to have breakfast this morning, but his mom's in town. So he's enjoying, his, he's enjoying his time with his mom, but we'll definitely catch up here. At the field, at the field today. Um, you mentioned a, a couple minutes ago, you know, Bo Bichette, and you kind of alluded to, well, sometimes it's good to be able to just kind of shut out the noise and just get in that mode where you're automatic a little bit. Um, is that something that you know? Obviously, you can't just tell a player, "Hey, block stuff out, uh, go in there and turn it off." But when you look at Bo Bichette surging the way he is after a cold stretch and you look at Vladimir Guerrero jr. Not cold by league standards, but cold by his own standards a little bit and visibly frustrated yesterday. How can a guy like Vlad get to that point, that spot where Boba shed is thriving in right now, where it is a little simplified. I think it's just the nature of the game. I mean, you're talking about two of the best players out there. One of the best shortstops and first basemen in the game. Bo had, I mean, he had a 
great year last year, leading the AL in hits, coming out. Yeah, you every we all go through our rough patches. That's just part of baseball. Any player can can kind of attest to that. With Flatty and, and Bo, he's he's just competing, and he says it all the time. I'm just competing. He was a perfectionist to the heart, and I think he's starting to let some of those pressures go and just allowing him to to be at peace with the player that he is and allow him himself to develop, you know, naturally. With Vladdy, it's a little different in that I think he's a guy who had the monster year last year, and it's the back-and-forth game. It's that cat-and-mouse game of pitchers really making adjustments, looking at the analytics, making adjustments. And you see all the – especially the Rays, you see them pitching him down in the zone. He's getting a lot of hard ground balls. He's not able to lift that ball like he really wants to. He's still hammering stuff up in the zone. But he needs to now make that adjustment to attack those balls down in the zone and be able to get some air up under him. So what what goes into that from a, a swing mechanics perspective? If, you know, he comes out tonight and he's like, well, Jordan Lyles isn't going to throw me anything up in the zone because he doesn't have a very good fastball up there. He's going to work me down and I need to drive that instead of, you know, turning over it to the left side. Um, what goes into that uh, driving a low pitch? And I'd imagine, you know, he, he's probably going to look to take that the other way too if he's reaching out there to get it. Um, what kind of change is that for a batter? Well, players have a couple of approaches that they can go after when you're trying to make an adjustment on a weakness in your game, let's call it. So you either have to adjust and say, okay, I'm not going to swing at anything down in the zone, which will improve his chase rate because he's chasing a lot down there as well. So he can say, okay, I'm not going to swing at the low pitch until two strikes, and I'm going to force them up in the zone and hopefully not chase it as many pitches. That is one approach. Or the other approach is really just getting in the cage and, and trying to figure out your swing and understand how can I get a little more extension. I'm catching these balls a little too deep. I'm getting the I'm getting the ground ball. I need to figure out how can I get a little more extension on those pitches and get them away from it. Yeah, a couple of days ago he had the big homer off of I think it was Rasmussen on the low pass ball, but that's one every now and then. You have to be able to do it consistently to force guys to change their plan against you. So I want to take a look at the at the other side of this matchup as well. Baltimore comes in here. Jays fans pretty familiar with Baltimore at this point. That these two teams have played a lot lately. Um, it was about a month ago that on MLB Network, you guys, including yourself, uh, were breaking down how Adley Rutschman is basically everything a franchise could want in their top guy. Here a month later, he seems to be getting even better. Are you seeing that growth? in real time here? Like, like, are you able to tell week to week or, or broadcast to broadcast when you have the Orioles that this guy's figuring out even more? It seems like it. And when you watch him play, yes, I, under, I understand the offense that he brings to the table. But when I watch him play, it's almost like the Buster Posey effect as far as how he's been able to really work with the pitching staff. The pitching staff is approved with him behind the plate. He's able to frame pitches amongst the best in the league right there next with Trevino from the Yankees. And he's been able to be that calming presence for the pitching staff and just brings a quiet confidence to really be a leader on that team. And that's not too common that you see a young guy being able to be a leader of a team that early in his career. So he's been extremely impressive. When you look at the success that he's had, as a catcher, as a hitter, and like you mentioned, as a leader for that team. It really seems like he's taken that on early. Um, and, and obviously the Orioles have been better than a lot of us expected. How quickly does this change the plan for the Orioles where, you know, last year I, I, I imagine they would have come into this year, this is a developmental year, and if we don't win that much, it's okay. And then next year maybe we're fighting for a spot, and then we start adding. Is there – do you think there's a, a bit of urgency then to, to start supplementing these young guys? You know, they, they should have a lot of financial flexibility this offseason. Um, or, or do you kind of try to take the, 
the longer, slower approach and, and figure out what these kids are uh, before you start adding around them? I think the plan stays the same. The, it just might have gotten moved up a year or so because this has been the plan. I mean, when you look at the minor league system for the Orioles, they're putting themselves in a really good position. It just so happens that they're performing a little earlier than maybe expected, but the Orioles at the trade di- deadline still stuck to the plan, traded away Mancini, traded away Lopez, still continue to build. But now you're starting to see the young players come up. You're seeing Gunnar Henderson come up, and he's been balling out. You see Rutschman doing his thing, and it seems like it's a good sign of things to come. So going into this offseason, you say, hey, now may be the time to make a couple of moves. Maybe not go all in yet. You let those young guys get a little more season before you make those big signings, maybe maybe a year or two away. Gunnar Henderson, uh, just 21. He comes up in 14 games so far, hitting 320, uh, slugging 520, and, and then the Orioles are using him wherever. Plug him in wherever the hole in the defense is uh, that day. What What is – what is it that makes Henderson so special as a, a two-way infield prospect? It's just so impressive to see him figure it out right out the gate. I mean, with a lot of young players, even the best of the best, even the, even the J-Rods, the Julio Rodriguez's of the world, even Rutschman, you know, you see these guys, or Bobby Witt, you know, you see these guys come up, and they're trying to find their way. You know, they, they struggle a little bit out the gate, especially if they're highly touted prospects. It's so much pressure on these young guys when they make their debuts. And Gunner's no different. He was a super highly touted prospect coming up in a playoff race. So he could have put that pressure on himself, but he seems like he's just a, a hard-nosed guy that just goes out there and plays the game, understands the task, puts, puts together two at-bats, doesn't let you know, the, the, the moment get too big for him. It's just out there competing, and it's just fun to watch. So I want to go back to – uh, 2007. You're 23. You're with the Diamondbacks. You guys are atop the NL West as the Rockies are doing this Rocktober push to the playoffs. Um, you guys are in that playoff fight, and, and you know you were young. That was a, a somewhat young team overall. How valuable is this kind of race for a young group to kind of speed up the the rate at which Rutschman or Gunnar Henderson or DL Hall, all those guys are learning on the fly. Like just how big is it for these guys individually uh, to be in a playoff race like this right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I was actually going to talk to Gunnar and Adley about that today because yeah, they're a little ahead of schedule, but they're in a playoff race and this is experience that they're going to gain moving forward. And the Orioles, if they're able to make some moves, you know, in the next couple of years, they're going to be a team that you have to worry about even in the AL East and myself, being at a playoff race early on, I think you're almost it's almost beneficial because you don't put too much pressure on yourself. You're just trying to get your feet in the door. You're just out there having fun, and it's just exciting. It's exciting baseball. Nobody wants to come up, even for your debut, and be on a team who's 30 games out to where you start to play selfish ball, where you're just worried about yourself. But when you come up in an environment where you're in a playoff race, it does nothing but make you feel like more of a part of the team because they understand your importance. What you do out there matters, and, and I think that's the environment that you want to be on as a player at any point in your career. What about for a guy like Gabriel Moreno, the, the Jays' top prospect? He's up with the team right now. He started yesterday, but he'd been up with the team about a week and hadn't played since, just kind of being a bench piece right now. Um, you know, I, I don't know that you experienced any stretches in your career uh, on the way up where you really weren't playing a lot, but um, does that kind of thing still extend there, or do you kind of need to be on the field to feel that? No, I think it still matters, um, and it depends what type of team you're on. Yeah, if you have some team who 
who's pretty much already set where you have guys blocking you at your position to where you're not going to get a lot of playing time, it's still nice to be around the guys, and it still makes you feel appreciated as a player in that the team still thought enough of me. They didn't just let me linger in the minor <laughs> leagues. They, they said, hey, you did what you needed to do. Come up and experience the big leagues. No, you're not going to play right out the gate, but you're going to get this experience, get to know the guys, and kind of set the table for years to come. Uh, last one for you, Chris, before we let you go and then let you get down to Rogers Center there. Um, just because I, I know you played in it and they announced the Arizona Fall League rosters today. Uh, what was that experience like? How does going down to Arizona Fall League differ from just the regular parts of your minor league season on the way up? It's a fun experience because, like, first of all, you go from getting drafted to where you get drafted, you're the best player in your region, let's say. Okay, now you get drafted, you go to rookie ball or a ball, and now you're surrounded by whole lot of other players who are the best in their region you feel like you're starting from scratch you start to work your way up through the minor leagues and then you get invited to the fall league and like once again you feel like you're starting from scratch in that <laughs> now you're around all the best minor league players so for some guys it could be a little bit intimidating for other guys they look at it as a challenge saying you know what if i can go out here and ball out in the fall league that tell that gives me even more confidence that i'm ready to make that next step because these are the best of the best these are the guys that I'm going to be competing against for the next five, six years. Because all these players, they kind of they got to go through these waves together. They all get called up together. They're all competing against each other. When, when they make their debuts, it's somebody across the way making their debut as well, which if you can have success against those guys in a, in a league like the Fall League, you, can, you feel like you can go and do it in the big leagues as well. So you're, you're saying, you know, if Adley Rutschman had hit – I don't know, Julie and Merriweather, the, the timelines aren't, uh, aren't lining up here, but it gives you a little confidence when you see that guy down the line then. <laughs> Absolutely. We're taking in all, as much information as possible. If I took you deep in the fall league, I'd still count that. Yeah, that's great. Um, Chris Young, uh, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Really looking forward to you uh, and Melanie and Trisha and Russell on the Apple TV Plus broadcast tonight. Uh, thanks so much, man. Yeah, thank you. Chris Young, 13-year MLB vet. Analyst for MLB Network. And again, Apple TV Plus game tonight. He'll be on the call for that one. We have a Jays lineup for tonight. I mentioned it a a little bit there with Chris. Uh, So let's go through it. Let's go through the whole thing. George Springer leads off and will play center field. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette. Teoscar Hernandez gets a DH day, which is notable. We'll mention why at the end here as we get through it. Uh, Kevin Biggio hits fifth. And plays second. Matt Chapman. Rymel Tapia and left. Danny Jansen hitting eighth. And catching the bullpen day. Jackie Bradley Jr. in right. So your outfield is Tapia, Springer, Bradley. Hernandez at DH. Which means it's a third consecutive game. With no Alejandro Kirk. We were told yesterday that Kirk's dealing with left hip tightness. He's day to day. Uh, He could have been available to pinch hit yesterday if he was needed. So I'd imagine that that same talking point will will be there today. You know, if they need him and it's a big spot, he could possibly pinch hit. But notable that it's three games in a row uh, Kirk has missed here. Gabriel Moreno started yesterday. I don't think he's responsible for the 11-0 loss, but they go back to Danny Jansen here. Um, Kevin Biggio up in the five spot once again. Um, that's an interesting one. That's uh, They've used Biggio kind of in all sorts of roles of late. He's played first. He's played second. He's played right field. He's hit fifth, sixth, seventh. 
I think they really value the flexibility a guy like that brings. Um, and of course, with Kevin Biggio, you're, you're going to get some strikeouts, but you're also going to get a lot of walks. Despite hitting just 210, his OBP is 328 on the year. So one of the better on-base percentages on this roster. Um, and weirdly enough, because the offensive environment in baseball is so low this year, his 708 OPS on base plus slugging, not only is it higher than it was last year, um, it's above league average. That's more uh that's more a shot at the league's offensive environment than it is a, a compliment to Kevin Biggio, really. Um, but it is worth taking a moment every once in a while to kind of reset what a league average is, where you know, you go down to Rogers Center, they show OPS on the board now instead of batting average. The league average is around seven hundred. It was seven oh two last I checked it. Um, so yeah, when you look up there and you see a number that, uh, doesn't stand out to you as very good necessarily, keep in mind that the league as a whole is struggling, uh, 708 OPS league wide. That's before adjusting for, you know, park factors and things like that. So Biggio who plays Biggio also has a weird one where he plays some of his time at uh, what something that would be a more premium position on the defensive spectrum for like when we're talking about adjusting these totals for uh, your position and things like that. So he plays second base, which is higher on the defensive spectrum. He plays right field, which is kind of in the middle. He plays first base, which is at the very bottom of it. Um, the formula for Kevin Biggio's wins above replacement must be fascinating. Uh, all that is to say, though, uh, his 328 OBP is a nice thing to be able to add off the bench uh, on a day where you don't have an Alejandro Kirk. The Jays are going to start Trevor Richards. It's going to be a bullpen day behind him. We'll tee up the pitching matchups a little bit more um, in the 430 block that we have ahead. We'll go a little deeper, at least on the Jordan Lyle side, and we'll look at who could be available for the Blue Jays. Um, The Trevor Richards start is at least moderately interesting because they did choose to use him yesterday in a spot where... I thought it rendered him unavailable for today because he threw 29 pitches. And yeah, as uh, Ben Shulman said earlier, he used to be a starter. So you don't worry quite as much about the tax of pitch totals on a guy like that. But you do worry about it in back-to-back days. Um, I thought it would have been a, a Merriweather spot after he did that last time out. You can always just go with a a Yusei Kikuchi in that spot, too. There's no rule that on a bullpen day, you can't start the the bulk guy. Um, But the Jays obviously don't want to do that with him right now. Uh, It's also possibly they want to put a righty out there uh, to bait Baltimore into playing more of their lefties before Kikuchi then comes in. I, I think Baltimore would expect that, but they are a team that, um, they have five lefties and two switch hitters. So they're, they're ready to go uh, either way, depending on uh, who is out there. Maybe we'll see we don't have their lineup yet. Um, maybe we'll see them stack it with righties anticipating the Kikuchi move. And then the Jays try to delay their delay, bringing in Kikuchi or something like that. Uh, or maybe they just go straight forward with it and, uh, you know, hit off who you're going to hit off because, it's a bullpen day and you don't really worry as much about the platoon splits with a guy like Kikuchi when he's pitching so poorly. Uh, Trevor Richards, also a guy who um, has handled lefties. Okay. This year, 
Um, he hasn't been super effective in general. And, and I thought that one little hot streak he had was a, a little bit overstated in any case. We have a couple texts in the text line. We're going to talk to J.D. Bunkus of the J.D. Bunkus podcast after a break, but keep those texts coming in to 590-590. We'll get to some of them in the 430 block. Um, and apparently the theme for today is I'm going to explain to people how to add Apple TV Plus in the text line um, because you do have to do that if you want to watch tonight's game on television. On the radio side, it'll be Ben Schulman, who we spoke to a little earlier, and Ben Nicholson-Smith on the call on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Um, a note to that Blair and Barker had a really good conversation with Jeff Passan earlier today. You should go check that out on the Blair and Barker podcast feed. Um, it's come up. What does a long-term extension for Vlad look like? And what does the timing of that look like? And this is a weird time of year for that to come up. But Hector Gomez put that out there um, earlier this week that, you know, and, and he is pretty tied into the, Guerrero family, uh, he he put it out there that Vlad would like to stay in Toronto long-term. Great. It, that's not unexpected. That's just normally the thing you say after the season, not with a month left. Um, but a good conversation with Blair and Barker and Jeff Passan uh, about that. We'll talk to J.D. Bunkus about that after the break. We'll also talk to him about the J.D. Bunkus podcast, a new show that debuts Monday at 9 a.m., on Sportsnet 590, the fan, I have to imagine I will be a regular guest on that because JD loves talking to me about sports. We'll take a break. We'll talk to JD Bunkus on Jay's Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Great daily gambling advice from JD, Blake, and Alish in the Fan Morning Show's Wake and Rake. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Hope you're having a nice Friday. We're with you for another hour here before we kick it over to fan drive time. And you got Jay's Orioles, the first of three at 7.07. Little schedule change there with that game being on Apple TV Plus tonight. Little schedule change here at the Fan 590 starting Monday as well. Joined now by J.D. Bunkus, host of the J.D. Bunkus podcast, Featuring J.D. Bunkus. J.D., what's up, man? Yeah. <laughs> My dream came true. I, w I actually wish they named it that now that you said it. <laughs> I'm like, is it too late to change? Because where were you in the consult meeting? More me. That's what the theme of the show is. Yeah. Um, so in seriousness, so I, I mean, people know you at this point. Jays, Leafs, Raptors, yeah. NFL, UFC, whatever, whatever you're, you're feeling that day, whatever the sports world is, is necessitating. Um, but give me the picture. Give me the high level uh, of what to expect from the J.D. Bunkus podcast. So when I first started at The Fan, I always wanted to have more of a digital sound. I just did. Like I always just kind of thought that was the way that things were going. And the hope for this space is that it ends up being a little bit more long form with the guests, that it's not exactly a time constraint as much as it is like, uh, yeah, there is a time constraint, but it's, it, I don't want it to be like segmented in the same way. If you come on, I want to have it feel like, yeah, you were on JD's podcast and you got deep in the weeds. I, I, one of the things I think I pride myself most on is 
letting the conversation go somewhere that it's naturally going to go and not try to cap it at one or two ideas. And so with guests, I'm hoping that, you know, there's a strong rotation of regulars that include like you and Ennis and people that everyone are kind of used to having me on over the years, the Colby Armstrongs of the world, right? <laughs> but I also want to try to pursue some of the bigger names in the industry and then maybe some people that uh, folks aren't used to hearing from and really try to delve into the stuff that like I'm really interested in and hopefully that sports fans will be interested in too. And of course, like local flair. I'm always going to be based in loving the Leafs and the Raptors and the Blue Jays, and that's what's always consuming the most of my time. So that's what it's going to get for the most part. I also like not – well, this is perfect because you know I'm <laughs> long-winded. But I've also been super passionate about um, young people in the industry. And like you know that about me. I think a lot of people in the business know that about me. And this is an opportunity where – you know, we've hired some young people that I'm really excited for. Um, try to show them how the podcasting world works, how content works, and then kind of bring them along on mic, on air, and production team. And, yeah, uh, kind of be a mentor to some people. So, like, I'm really stoked on this. Yeah. Do you, well, what are we going to call them? The Bunkies? No, don't do not do that to them. Like, <laughs> I was like, we're trying to make the industry better. And then they come out as the bunkies. The bunkies. I already got a scrap and go new. Uh, all right. Um, so one of the things I'd imagine your show is going to do, at least on a Friday like this, you talk some NFL you know. bets for the weekend. I know this is a Blue Jays show, um, but... How you doing so far? We're, we're a week and change in. You you still flush? You you above zero or what? No, I got murdered in week one. Like, <laughs> absolutely murdered. Because the Niners, I was so confident in the idea that the Bears wouldn't score any points and for a long period of time in that game. Like, I, I did the cardinal sin of gambling, which was believing something is a lock and so throwing the money line as a booster on everything. Like, truly, I, I think I threw it on maybe 75% of my bets. It was Niners' money line. I just believed. And then, yeah, the thing that happened happened, which was the Niners losing. You and I did hit last night. I yeah. told you. Josh Palmer touched down, Chargers cover. It happened all at once. It was the flukiest backdoor cover it is, but they don't ask how, Blake Murphy. They ask yeah. how many. So we came through yesterday. Now the, now the bankroll's looking, I mean, okay-ish. But I actually I, – I sneaky love this weekend. And – I, that can usually lead to danger, but I think, okay, I'm going against my trends. I think that this weekend is about dogs and unders. All right. All right. I can get. I haven't sat down with it much yet. I probably won't get to watch a lot of NFL this weekend, actually, because uh, I don't even know if I've mentioned this on air yet, but I'm, I'm doing that wrestling thing this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. I'm, I'm making my play-by-play debut uh, in the world of wrestling, so I don't know how much football I'll catch on Sunday. Um, but Like I said, it, like, debut. Like, yeah. you're already getting it ready to have that little bit of a wrestler announcer twang. you yeah. got to have a little bit of the extra juice on it. Oh, I will. spin on the ball. I will by then. By then I gotta get I gotta get ready. That's what tonight's for. Um, are you playing it straight right away? Like, are you just coming in and being a professional Blake Murphy, or are you gonna be uh, uh, like do we have an angle that you want to share? A little no, tiny no. Bit? Well, first of all, if there was, I wouldn't divulge that ahead yeah, of time. That's, true. that's, yeah, uh, that's true. I'm trying to get the dirt notes. No, you taught me about the dirt notes. Not trying dirt sheets. I want the yeah, dirt notes, maybe. <laughs> yeah, dirt sheets. Dirt sheets. Ah, so yeah. close. <laughs> I'm uh, no, I'm not trying to break kayfabe here or anything like that. Um, but no, if I gotta you're come in, to one of these. If you're in the London area on Saturday or the Toronto area on Sunday, Smash Wrestling is who I'm uh, doing some play-by-play for. Hope I don't get in trouble for <laughs> promoting that. Um, I don't think you will. So. 
I won't watch a ton of NFL this weekend. I will, of course, watch the Blue Jays. The one thing we have to visit before we get a little more specific about what just happened and what's going to happen this weekend, um, just let it be known that no two guys were higher on Whit Merrifield than us and, and you know, felt vindicated when he had that winning hit the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, our guy Whit. Whit, Whit the guy that comes through his Just like our guy Trevor Richards, who came through for us with our under bet yesterday in spectacular oh, yeah. fashion. Yeah, that was yeah, a rough that was one. Great. And now apparently he's going to start tonight. So good. He's going to start. He tonight? is listed as the opener for tonight. He threw almost thirty pitches yesterday. Tonight. Yeah. So he threw almost thirty pitches yesterday. He couldn't get through anything. Like he couldn't find the strike zone, and when he did, it was meatballs. Um, so he starts tonight. Boy, so what? Kikuchi right after him? I would imagine Richards gets one, and then Kikuchi goes. And then you're into Merriweather territory after that, probably. Yeah. Okay, so Merriweather after that. And then if you stake yourself out to a lead, then it's the good parts of the bullpen. If you don't, though, are you back with Zach Pop? Because they used David Phelps like twice in the last couple of days. I would imagine that they don't feel so great about going back to him. It's yikes. That's yeah. that's a tough way to start a series. Yeah, because the, the two freshest guys in your bullpen are uh, other than the long guys are Mesa and Romano. And obviously, you would prefer not to use those two guys if you don't have to. Like if it's a if it's a not a competitive game, Zach Pop is always the one that stands out to me because he has options. So like he's the one guy that if their bullpen was overworked and they were like, we need another arm for tomorrow, he's the guy that's going to go down unless someone takes a phantom IL stint or something like that. So Pop would be the next guy. They just really, you know, we've said this a million times. They got to hope Kikuchi can give them something. Hey, can I ask you something about the bullpen? Like, this is a little off topic of some of the things we want to do. But what do you make of Schneider and his deployment of them? Because the bullpen has been way better than I think a lot of us expected since the All-Star break. Like, no one would deny that. I would still say I wish they had another arm. Um, One, because you can never have too many in there. And two is, I think it's pretty clear that they still are missing that blow-away strikeout power arm like that every big playoff bullpen needs. But I find myself in a lot of games watching and one of the more fun things as a baseball fan for me anyways is trying to predict like what the manager is going to do and and where he's going to go with the bullpen and try to play manager in that way and i find that a lot of nights i'm off and and i don't know if that's like he's doing something different if he's just unpredictable to you because like obviously there are spots where there is predictability right like romano's coming in the ninth of the lead usually it's been you know but i i do find myself a lot of times going, huh, I'm surprised that he decided to do this here. Yeah, there's a little bit of that for sure. And and I think that that can be a good thing because you're trying different things, right? And you're getting outside the box a little bit. You know, like I, I liked, it was a risk, but I liked the move the other night of Romano came in to get you uh, out of a jam Love in the that. eighth and then you add on runs. So you're like, yeah, we'll go to Zach Pop here so Romano can maybe be used tomorrow. Uh, I think that's a smart use of your guys that, I think probably he has a little more confidence in Tim Mesa and Trevor Richards than I do. I think yes. the the Jimmy Garcia usage has been good. The recognition that, you know, if you pitch him consecutive days, there's a drop off there. But if you space it out, he can be pretty electric for you. Um, the one interesting one to watch, I think, is Anthony Bass, where they really haven't trusted him against lefties. Like he's done a lot of come in with men on base and get out of a jam. But like the other night, he threw three pitches and they didn't bring him back out because there were a couple lefties coming up. So, um, you know, he has splits, but not to that degree. 
I'm mostly okay with it. I, I like this time of year too, like keeping guys ready for different spots. Like when you get to the playoffs, like if you're Anthony Bass, even if you're the quote unquote eighth inning guy, you got to be ready to come into the fifth inning. Right. So I don't mind mixing the roles up a little, a little bit. Um, just, yeah, the only, the only real thing I'd say is, and I know the ERA is still fine. I just, I don't have the same confidence in Tim Mesa that I think they do. No. Well, there's three guys I don't really that have I actually shouldn't put them in the same class, but like yeah, Trevor Richards to me has zero trust. I don't care about his low leverage splits. I, I just I'm sorry, that's not what I'm here for. Especially since they continuously seem to put him in spots that are higher leverage than I would want, and it, he burns them a lot of the times when he does that. Simber still scares me. I know he's been great since the Blue Jays acquired him, and he's done more than an adequate job as uh, the guy he has been, which has been multiple roles. But this is just a preference for me. I don't really, I don't, I'm never going to trust contact guys that are relievers in big spots. It's just, I'm never going to feel good about that. And then Mesa, it's kind of, I, he went from being the, this guy's underrated to, I think this guy's slightly overrated all in one season guy, which is surprising because, yeah, I really did trust him earlier in the year. The injury, he hasn't quite been the same guy. But I think there's been two really big differences between Schneider and between Charlie. And one is that, Schneider doesn't seem as concerned about letting his starters go deeper into ball games. Mm-hmm. Like he will trust them to get that extra inning. And a lot of the times it seemed like Charlie was really apprehensive to do that. Like he seemed more of the managerial style that re- rather too early than too late. Whereas Schneider appears to kind of be a bit the other way. So I think that adds a little bit to the unpredictability because like I'm usually waiting for a little bit more of an aggressive move from a manager. Like even the other night, I was texting with you in Stripling. Stripling was dealing, but he got hit hard at pretty. Uh, he got he got hit hard at the end of an inning, and the top of the order was coming up third time through. He was at something like 75 pitches, and I thought, you know what? I won't be shocked if John goes to the bullpen here. And no, he ends up giving him an extra inning. It works out. It goes great. Blue Jays end up winning the ball game, and he rewards him for it. So, yeah, I think that a big part of it is just Schneider is not afraid to to lean on his starters a bit more, especially, obviously, well, only really the four that he has. Yeah, and I think that that is also, you know, this is the time of year for that too where you want your guys ready to go deep if you need them to in a playoff game. And also, like, there is a little more certainty right now where, yeah, three months ago, you have to worry about Ross Stripling because you don't know what, you know, you don't know how he's going to respond to a career high workload. You don't know what it's going to look like a third time through the order. At this point, we're a couple weeks from the playoffs. Like, you know how Ross Stripling has responded to the workload now. You know that one more inning probably isn't going to, you know, hurt him in his next start or that Manoa can go into the seventh even when he's, you know, <laughs> he has no guts left. Um, yeah. And then, so let me ask you this based on Schneider. So I just pulled the numbers of since Schneider took over and obviously Jordan Romano is the highest leverage reliever. Who are the two guys you think like anecdotally, but I, I mean, I have the numbers for it that you think he's used the most in leverage. I think Simber would be two. Simber is four. Okay. Cause I feel so like Romano's Simber one. And, Simber's you know what, four. <laughs> You know what that is? That is exactly why confirmation bias exists is because it's like that's why you register the guy that you hate the most coming out in those spots. And I always feel like he comes out and leverage a little bit too much. I would imagine that it's got to be Jimmy. Jimmy's uh, second and and Jimmy has a 140 ERA since since that cutoff. So 
pretty yeah, the uh, way no you arguments set it up, there. I thought it was going to be like a complete shocker where I was like, no, but the, the shocker to me is Mesa is third, and there's a Mesa's huge three, gap yeah. between Mesa and yeah. and the rest of the bullpen. But this is it. Like, this is kind of – and I know that Loop hasn't been here. Oh, God, I've done this again calling him Loop. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but I'll just call Bass Loop till the day I die. Bass hasn't been here as long as Schneider's been manager, but that is probably one of the more shocking things is it feels like he is not used in leverage as much as you are going to expect him to be. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's actually been smart and it's been earlier, but it, it hasn't felt like he's been the back-end guy – that you would expect for someone who's been as lights out as he's been since he arrived. Yeah, and I don't know, you know, I, I've found it a little interesting that they don't seem to want to let him pitch to good lefties, and that limits yep. the spots you can come in. Um, you know, you're going to need that from him at some point. That one-out appearance is going to need to be a four-out appearance at some point, and the results have been, this is the other thing with bullpen stuff is like, when the results have been this good, it's hard to nitpick, right? It's like you took Anthony Bass out and the next guy came in and did his job and everything went well. Like this bullpen has been very, very good during this stretch. Um, but yeah, I do wonder what do you trust that... him though? Who? You, like truth test. Did the bullpen, like right now, they've been great. And, and yeah. I don't think that you can nitpick with it. But I keep coming back to this with just friends when I'm watching games, which is, but when it comes playoff time, are like who is in your trust tree of yeah. relievers? Because I have I have two and a half guys in there. Yeah, I have Romano and Garcia in there. Like I think Romano, all of those concerns we had maybe the second month of the season when the velocity dipped a little bit, That's he was gone. getting hit a little bit. He has been on such another level the last little while, and like he's, he's a superstar. And like the velocity is up heading into the playoff, not just normalized. Like his fastball and slider are the best they've ever been lately. Um, yeah, he's a star. As far as relievers go, I think Jimmy Garcia is in there. He doesn't miss quite as many bats as I might like from uh, like your number two guy, but there's that intensity about him. And like, he really hasn't had very many bad outings. Um, so he's in there as well. And then there are a couple guys who like situationally, like David Phelps has done a good job. If he comes in with men on base, um, you know, Anthony Bass against righties has been very effective. But yeah, I don't know that there's that. Like, it's certainly not the 2015 Royals where it's like, oh, if you win the first six innings, you win the game. Yeah, I, I only bring it up because it feels like, and rightfully so, that these guys have been getting a lot of flowers lately. And, and I've been off air a lot and, you know, I've been doing guest spots, but I listen to a lot of shows and I think that I track it pretty closely on social media and I try to kind of keep up with what's going on with the team and what the narrative is around them. And the reason why I said two and a half is because I trust Bass. Mm -hmm. I, he's in the trust tree with me. And I think that, yeah, he's been underused and it's been a little weird in terms of some of the deployment of him. But Garcia only gets the half from me because of a similar deployment. Like you mentioned, they, they don't want to use him on back-to-back -back days, and what's the playoffs all about? It's like you have to bring in your leverage guys back-to-back -back days. Like, since September, he's pitched five times. Yeah. Like, that's it. And I, I just... I like Jimmy when he comes out. He had that spooky night the other evening, right, where he <laughs> loaded the bases but then worked his way out of a jam with a bunch of nice strikeouts and throwing the high heat. But the fact that they're so protective of when he pitches and seems so reluctant to have him go back-to-back -back occasions. Like, when's the last time has – it, has it happened even recently where he's gone, you know, in back-to-back -back outings? It was August 19th, 20th, as if I'm looking at his game log, where he actually went back-to-back -back outings and, and went out there two days in a row. Like, that's a month ago. <laughs> like, yeah. It's been a little while since he's done that, and I feel like that's not really flagged enough because – 
when we're talking about like the unpredictability of Schneider and sort of where we began with this conversation, I feel like he's a big element of it because normally you have your setup man always come up in that spot, and Jimmy feels like he's just a part of a rotating eighth man or the eighth inning man because they don't trust him to do those two days in a row. Yeah, and it's also weird too because if you go back to the early parts of the year when he was pitching two days in a row, he was like still effective in those spots, but because he's had some trouble – um, when he's got, you know, one day of rest, the numbers look as they are, like 506 ERA with one day of rest, whereas his ERA overall is phenomenal. So um, I don't know. That That's a thing where, like, I, I would certainly want to see him used back-to-back days down the stretch here, see how he responds. There's also... Yeah it's also possible there's like medical stuff that we don't have access to, right? Like that, not, not necessarily their contention would be that. Yeah. Like not necessarily that he's hurt, but like, even if the results are good on a second day in a row, they see something in how he's responding or, or, you know, the risk that might be like, it's a pretty big note when for six weeks he hasn't been used on back-to-back days and they've been playing a lot of close games. That's, that's exactly my, that's exactly my point with why he's not fully in the trust tree. The results have been there because they've deployed him correctly, and that's great because they're in a playoff race for positioning, and they want to use him correctly. And so if you're the Blue Jays right now, you would say, we don't feel like the drop-off from him to Bass or to Mesa right now is as gargantuan as you guys make it seem to be. We're higher on some of our guys than you might be, especially when it comes to the Simbers of the world. So we want to keep our bullpen fresh. We know that Jimmy's numbers are the numbers. But also, we want to make sure that he's fresh for the playoffs so that he is ready to go and he doesn't feel overtaxed once he gets there. So, like, I'm not saying this is completely illogical. It just is something that I kind of looked at the other day and went, hey, this is kind of an oddity that he is so – because what's the data for back-to-back starts with the 506 ERA? Like, what kind of a sample are they even working on? I mean, he hasn't – can't be that many outings. No, it's not. And that's where, like, you know, you probably have to dig in on stuff like, oh, the velocity or the break in in his pitches, you know, if that's not there – but the results have been, um, you know, you'd have to get pretty granular with that. The other small thing, and like this shouldn't apply to relievers because what's the difference between 60 and 65 innings? Like there's a difference there, obviously, but relievers just get hurt left and right anyway. But with some of these guys, we are very used to, with the exception of 2015 and 2016, talking about workloads in 162 games. Um, the Jays are hoping, obviously, that this workload is closer to like 180, 185 games. So maybe there's an element of being extra protective right now um, with the extra roster spot and stuff like that. I, I'm not really sure. Uh, I want to pivot off the bullpen here. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, uh, you know, team's been red hot. They're in a playoff spot. Let's let's keep being a little negative. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has... He's, Gotten a hit in nine games in a row, but during those nine games, nine strikeouts to one walk. You go at the last month, he's got a sub-700 OPS. Um, I know that there's some stuff with how he's being attacked, a lot of stuff down in the zone, and that stuff is hard to drive and hard to drive in the air. Um, Are we at a point where it's been a little too long before the adjustments come for your liking? So... I'm not a professional when it comes to swings, right? And, but I like I yeah. But Joe Siddle won't come on the show on Friday at 4 p.m. So no, but, no, but yeah. Here's here's the thing. Though. I was I trust what some people are saying, which is that yeah, clearly the launch. The guy's hitting a ton of ground balls, right? Yeah. Saw a stat the other day that no qualified hitter has hit more ground balls since the All Star break than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And I go, that's 
the guy who was runner-up for MVP last year. And this is in a league where we know it's all about putting the ball in the air. Like, this isn't 1920. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not a very good statistic. The one thing that I looked at that made me feel a little bit relieved is I looked back to last year to see what the reminder was because he had a swoon in August too mm-hmm. of last year, right? He had a swoon and people went, oh, man, is he wearing down again? Does Vladdy have the stamina? He at least picked it up for September, October. He had a 977 OPS. So that should dispel some of the rumors that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can't hack it for an entire season because, like, we've seen it before, right? So that would lead me to leave. This isn't just a fatigue thing, that the guy is a really great hitter who, when he's not hitting very great, we're going to notice. But this, this is beyond that now, right? Like, this is a little bit beyond it. Now we're looking at his entire career. People are picking at different parts of it. I, I think that I'm starting to accept, and I hate saying this, that maybe Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is not going to be one of the best five players in baseball. Like, I don't know really what leads you to believe that he's going, like, maybe that he can achieve that level. Maybe that every once in a while he can run hot like that. But I think the greater conversation is going to be how great of a player is he? And recalibrating those expectations is going to have to force you to look at what exactly the Blue Jays are going to need. Because if you have one of the best players in baseball, you know, you have an MVP runner-up, that makes things a lot easier when it comes to team building. That makes it a lot easier when it comes to salary negotiations where basically he sets a price point and you go, yeah, we'll give you whatever you want. What happens if he is like, I want to, so his career OPS now is what? Like 850? 865. 865. Okay, so. His career OPS is that. He's still 23, 24? Yep. He's 23? Okay, yeah, he's 23 years old. But we've talked about this before. Like, what age is a guy where they're still, like, young, young, young? And for a guy that's supposed to be a phenom and a guy that's supposed to be, you know, uh, a prolific, do you not have a little bit less patience when it comes to the whole, like, putting the entire picture together? I would just say that as of right now, he is who he is, which is, I think, an all-star hitter who every once in a while can run hot like an MVP, but might not be quite what we thought he is. That's it. And that's an interesting thing to have to navigate. And it's an interesting, like, so even for Vlad's career, like over these four years, he comes out in total as about 35% better than league average at the plate over these four years, which is Great. It's a top 20 hitter in baseball still, but he, he plays a position that's not a premium position, even if you play it extremely well. Um, and none of this is meant to say that Vlad isn't going to be in the middle of this order forever. But I brought it up because yesterday, Hector Gomez, who is well plugged in with that family, tweets out that Vladimir Guerrero is open to signing a long-term deal with the Blue Jays and quote, I feel really happy playing here. I hope something could be done about it in the off season. Obviously he's going to say the part about being happy here and open to signing a long-term deal. The, I hope something can be done about it. This off season struck me as at least the timing was a little odd because that's something you say like in an exit interview, not with a couple yeah. weeks left in the season when you're coming off the worst month you've had since you were a rookie. What did you make of the timing of that coming out? So I would be, can, can I be honest? Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of that. <laughs> like, I'm afraid of that. He's our, but he's going into ARB two this summer, right? 
So the Blue Jays have, I believe, three more years of control. And if you would have told Blue Jays fans a year ago, hey, like you can lock up Vladimir Guerrero Jr. right now, and it's somewhere around you know the four hundred and fifty million dollar range, because I really do think that, like, what did Juan Soto get offered? Four forty, four four thirty, something like that from Washington, maybe he ends up getting a little bit more. I think that, yeah, last summer, that was probably about the going rate for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like, that's pretty much his contemporary at the time. He's, you could make the case for Soto being better at that time. You could make the case for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like, I think that's pretty fair. I don't know... I don't know how I feel about signing a guy after he's had a bit of a down season. The season's not as bad as people want to make it out to be at times, I find. Like, he still has been very, very good for this baseball team, but the growth hasn't been quite to the point where you would want to see it. And a regression of this caliber, or like to this degree, would lead me to believe that I, if I'm the Blue Jays right now, and I've got salaries on the books that are like the Hunjin Ryus, and I'm not comparing Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to these guys in the sense of like he's the same level of risk. I'm just saying that you've got a lot of troublesome money on the books moving forward. You've got Hunjin Ryu's money. You've got Yusei Kikuchi. That's no big deal. But George Springer's money is really scary. Everybody loves George Springer, but the rate of return on that contract right now is not exactly where you would have thought it should be. He's been awesome when he's healthy, but he's never been healthy. And do we think that that's going to get better over the next bunch of years? I don't think so. So I guess my only question would be, like, why would you be rushing out to sign Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to a long-term deal unless you feel like it's going to get incredibly contentious or unless he's willing to concede that there's more risk in signing him now than there was the feeling anyways about it a year ago. Like, you just have to be able to take all these things into concert, like, or, or in, take them all together. Like, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has struggled with, I think, um, focus at times. Like, that has been kind of clear. He has faded in a couple of seasons late. He has struggled with maintaining his shape. He's been way better with that, like, since of the last couple of seasons, but this isn't exactly a guy that's like a complete gym rat. Like he's not Troy Tulowitzki that you trust being in the batting cages every single day, you know, grinding away and making sure that baseball is number one all the time. There are red flags with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. There's at least enough of them that would lead me to say, why not wait? Why not continue to dangle the carrot and say, yeah, we believe in you. We want to pay you. But if we're going to give you a long-term deal right now, there's just absolutely no way that we can be hitting, you know, that 450, that 440 number that was kind of being out there a year ago. Yeah, and uh, honestly, the thing that I found most interesting about the timing of it is, like, putting out there that you want to negotiate a long-term extension coming off of, like, you would think over the last three years, this is the least leverage Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is at. Obviously, yeah. the closer you get the free agency, the more leverage you have, but coming off of a down year is not a good negotiating spot. Um, uh-uh. I, I don't know. And, and again, like the first base thing is uh, is also a real factor. Like how do you value and price that versus a, a Soto type or a Tatis type? Um, you know, the answer is probably in something you said, and it's that you don't want an unhappy Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or, or uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who doesn't think you're as invested in him as he is in the team. Um, over these last, you know, he's got three more years of arbitration after this. And then there's also, you know, a, a front office like Shapiro Nackins, as much as people hate the Clevelandy terms, like the cost certainty is a real thing too. There's a value when you go to make other deals in knowing you have Vlad at this amount and not this range of amounts. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what, the, how do you, 
price that? What is that worth when you get into a negotiation? But what would you feel comfortable? But what would you feel comfortable giving Vladimir Guerrero Jr. today? Because I do not feel comfortable giving Vladimir Guerrero Jr. a ten-year, four hundred fifty million dollar contract. Right, but like, would I just you don't. would you sign ten three hundred right now? Yes. That, okay. But that's what I'm saying. If Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is willing to give you like a big price break, like, man, it, yeah, like you're not you're not getting Michael Harris eight seventy two. I don't think you're getting the Julio Rodriguez. Oh, there's this possible huge number, but really you're only yes. guaranteed smaller. Like I think I think the conversation probably isn't starting unless you get to you know eight two fifty or ten three hundred or something like that. That's that's what I'm saying. If you're in that ballpark. Then great. Sign Vladdy. Because I, I think it's going to be really tough not to get a decent return on that kind of a contract. You ensure his happiness. You ensure that you've got a guy that's going to be one of the faces of your baseball club. You've got a guy who I think that the floor is very, very high over the course of an entire season. Someone that fans love to go out and root for. Who's going to sell jerseys for you. Who's going to just be, you know, a, a star in your city. That's worth it to me. A guy who has shown MVP caliber ceiling. Who last year wins MVP in just about any other year other than, you know, the resurgence of Babe Ruth. But, yeah, there's just no way that I'm signing a long-term deal that's coming at a, a non-team-friendly price. And people can be mad at that, but I don't think that the cost certainty is worth that. I, I do believe that there is risk there. And I think that, yeah, this team should be able to – like, they're not the type of team that can afford to miss on contracts like that. They're just not. And so I, I've, I think actually it's probably more likely that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is here long term if he's able to either prove that he's worth that kind of money in a season from now by showing that he can at least do it twice or take that team-friendly deal if he really does want to be in Toronto and he is happy with the amount of money, he loves the lifestyle, he knows that this team, he's been with them since he was a teenager – like, those are the concessions that I think he's going to have to make. And $300 million guaranteed is still a, a whole lot of money. So um, No, he's poor. He's poor if he's $300 million. No, I, and, like, obviously this is a – it's about more than the money. It's about what it signals and, and things like that. Anyway, um, J.D. Bunkus, let's uh, – it's 4.30 on a Friday here, but let's assume it's next week. It is the end of the J.D. Bunkus podcast on a Friday – Give me your your best bet heading into the weekend, or your your favorite thing you're looking forward to, whether it's baseball or not. So, I'm really looking forward to obviously this entire slate, but there's a few games that I've had circled as I'm really interested to see if the Tom Brady versus the New Orleans Saints things continues without having Sean Payton there and with New Orleans looking a little bit mm, shaky in their first game. I think a lot of people decided to think that Tom Brady was old and that we all wanted the Saints. And I put a bunch of future Saints bets down to win that division and make the playoffs to do a bunch of things. And yeah, I, I, I think that's going to be one of the, the highlight games of the weekend for me. Um, I also really want to see what happens between Arizona and Las Vegas. Because I think that those are going to be like two desperate teams. And then everything else is like the Monday night games are far more interesting. Like the Monday night between the Vikings and the Eagles is like these are the two hype teams in the NFC now. These guys are both like, hey, you're in the conversation to be contenders. Is one of you actually going to prove that by dominating the other? That Those are the ones that I really care about this weekend. But from a betting standpoint, uh, you know I'm cooking up a coward's parlay. Yeah, I, of course. I was saying earlier that I really like Baltimore. But now I'm a little spooked off of that because I was looking at their cornerback situation and it's quite bad. <laughs> they, 
They look like they're not going to be getting back a couple of their guys, and they might be down as many as three corners. So I'll probably hesitate a little bit on that one. I still like Baltimore on the money line. I still think that they'll win that football game. But yeah, I like the I like the Bengals to smash the Cowboys. I like the Broncos to bounce back. And when it comes to dogs, I I like the I like the Seahawks still. I think that that's too many points. I think that we're looking pretty good if you're a home dog, potentially being the Pittsburgh Steelers against the New England Patriots team that has Mac Jones on a back injury. And yeah, I. I also wonder, I just have to wonder, if your Jacksonville Jaguars, as plus four <laughs> underdogs, can find a way to just hang around uh, a Colts team that had a pretty listless week one performance. Like, is this Jaguars time? Because this is it. Protect your house. Yeah, sure. Sure. Protect the house. Uh, the other Ravens thing that, that we have to see in addition to the corners is uh, this is their first home game. So we don't know with, with no mascot, with the mascot out for the season, how will that have uh, an impact today? Remember when the Raptor got yeah. destroyed and we found out that he was like 45 years old doing handstands and we were all blown away by yeah. the athleticism And he's of the man. still the Raptor. He, made a he full, came back. He's still the guy, right? Yeah. 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 He how came old back. is he now? I don't know. Probably still 45. That's how it works with Mascot. Yeah. I can't well, imagine no, he's no, like. No, but he is one of those. I can't imagine he's like 50. He's got to be on TV 12. The Raptor is yeah. on TV 12. Like, there's no way. Like, for all the accolades that Tom Brady gets, the Raptor should get a little bit more in the city. Like, let me know what you're eating, the Raptor, yeah. you know? Like, give people a little peek at what the routine is. Well, here you go. Uh, Monday morning at 9 a.m., the J.D. Bunkus podcast. First ever segment, a huge investigative report on what the Raptor is doing to have this longevity. Uh, J.D., thanks for taking Something the good. time, man. A lot of core. Yeah. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Really looking forward to the J.D. Bunkus podcast starting 9 a.m. on Monday on Sports at 590 The Fan. Thanks, buddy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, take a look at Jordan Lyles, take a look at the Jays' bullpen situation, and we'll give you the lineups for tonight. See what's going on as the Jays look to put the Orioles even further behind them in the wild card race. That's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. Starting Monday, be sure to tune into the J.D. Bunkus podcast weekday mornings at 9 on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy with you for another 15 minutes or so before we kick it over to fan drive time. And then they kick it over to the Blue Jays broadcast with Ben Schulman and Ben Nicholson-Smith. First pitch, 707 on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We got a couple of texts in the text line before we set up uh, tonight's matchup and take a look at Jordan Lyles, who... Last time they played the Orioles, we set up as well. And then he got scratched on short notice uh, due to illness. And Keegan Aiken stepped into uh, that one instead. Gibby asks, I can't imagine that's actually John Gibbons, but it's making me chuckle. The idea that John Gibbons might be texting the text line. Uh, if you miss the playoffs by a game, don't bullpen games scare you? Bullpen games scare me all the time. Uh, Giacomo in Windsor says, third time he'll hear JD today. I uh, love listening to him. Can't wait for his new show on Monday. I agree, Giacomo. Uh, someone else, Colin Barry also says, has JD been on every show today? Put it in work on a hey, Friday. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, put it in work on a Friday. Yeah, he is. Um, George in Toronto thinks the Vlad situation is not just a normal slump uh, because it's so pronounced with runners 
in scoring position. Um, I don't think, no, I, I don't think that says anything about uh choker. He has had some really big moments. Um, I think it's more just that when runners are, like we're seeing in the big picture, pitchers pitch Vlad very carefully and that version of carefully is a different version of careful than it was before. Before it was, you're going to walk a ton because they're going to give you nothing. Now it's, well, until he shows he can beat you down in the zone with more than singles, that's where they're going to err. And I think with runners in scoring position, it's just A, pitchers are going to be even more focused in on attacking the weaknesses. And B, those ground balls that have been present, even with runners not on base, look even worse because you're talking about double play balls or potential double play balls. Rick and Markham thinks that yesterday should have been the bullpen day because they'd already won three in the series. That's a tough one just because moving Gosman, as you suggest, Rick, um, you can't, you kind of have to make that decision before you know that you've won three games in the series, because then Gos because Gosman would also need to bump his bullpen day in between starts and things like that. You'd also run into um, so next week the way things shape up, there's a nine game in a row stretch, and right now you'd only need the fifth starter once. If you bumped Gosman to today instead, you'd need the fifth starter twice potentially in that nine game stretch. So um, that's a consideration that they're looking at there as well. Uh, or you'd need the, yeah, you would, you would need them on the, on the Friday and then the following week as well. So uh, that's probably why they stuck to that. It's not just about that one game. It's about how does it line up the rest of this series? And then how does that line up for the nine days without an off day next time uh, where they'll go for bullpen day or call up, four and then you can kind of reset coming out of another uh, day off Maurice in Orangeville says uh, the Jays could possibly mess with the wild card position or they could compete in the world series final what do you think yeah there everything is on the table right now um, we'll see how we'll see how it goes um, this series is a big one if you want to if all you're focused on and this should be your primary focus is getting a playoff spot this weekend is huge because you could put the Orioles more or less behind you. Uh, you could come out of the weekend with only 15 games left and an eight game lead on them. That would require you to absolutely collapse to blow it. So um, you can do a lot of damage there. Um, Matt in Toronto asks who has the longest home run in Rogers center history. Uh, I don't know the longest, but there are obviously uh, the, the, Big ones are the fifth deck home runs. And I'm not sure what the measured distances are officially, um, but Mark McGuire's is the one that I think is like the unofficial longest. Um, I don't know that there's ever been one clocked at 500 feet, but there have been 22 hit into the upper deck at Rogers Center. And I believe Mark McGuire's has like the longest estimated distance. That would be just shy of 500 feet. Someone asks, uh, what comes first, Leafs Cup or Jays World Series? We'll say Jays World Series just because uh, that's first. Maybe they'll both win it this year and then uh, it would be the Jays coming first. Let's take a look at the lineups. Let's take a look at the pitching matchups for tonight. On the Blue Jays side, 
It's a bullpen day. Trevor Richards listed as the starter. You'd imagine Yusei Kikuchi and Julian Merriweather follow. Tim Mesa and Jordan Romano are both very fresh. And then you have Garcia, Bass, Phelps, Simber, Pop, all potentially available as needed. Um, Richards threw 29 pitches yesterday, so he's an, a bit of an odd choice to start. He does have very good numbers against this Orioles team um, over his, well, over his career facing them. Um, but in recent years, particularly Julian Merriweather, less so. Maybe that's what they looked at when they decided not to open with Merriweather. Um, Orioles have gone six for 19 with two home runs against them. Yusei Kikuchi has been hammered by this team. 85 plate appearances against these Orioles in general, a 623 slugging percentage and an ERA of nine this year. It's hard to see that going well, um, but maybe, maybe it will. The Jays will line up as follows behind that bullpen day. George Springer, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez, Kevin Biggio, Matt Chapman, Rymel Tapia, Danny Jansen, Jackie Bradley Jr. Teoscar is getting a DH day, so your outfield is Tapia, Springer, Bradley. Uh, the big item of note there is that Alejandro Kirk is missing a third consecutive game. He's dealing with hip tightness um, and his day-to-day as Arden Zwelling provided us before the game, um, both are hitting and playing catch today uh, as they worked their way, or both Alejandro Kirk and Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who's on the aisle with a hamstring issue, are hitting and playing catch today, but neither is running. Um, the hope is that they'll progress through the weekend. Gurriel is eligible to come off the injured list on Sunday, but it doesn't sound like that's particularly likely. Um, Alejandro Kirk has not been placed on the IL. So um, obviously it's not something that they're uh, immediately concerned about, but third day off in a row, we'll continue to monitor that. So that's why Teoscar Hernandez is in the cleanup spot. And that's why the DH day goes to an extra outfielder rather than Kirk. Um, Whit Merrifield, Bradley Zimmer, Alejandro Kirk, Gabriel Moreno, Make up your bench. And a name I'm missing. Because that's the type of day it's been. Um, on the Orioles side, they'll start Jordan Lyles. You know Jordan Lyles by now. He's almost 32, big burly dude. He's mostly there to soak up innings until the Orioles prospects are ready. Um, he's pitched 156 innings this year on a $7 million deal. That is all the Orioles probably cared about. They have an $11 million team option on him for next year with a $1 million buyout. That'll be interesting to see what they do with that. Um, he has a 462 ERA. So on pure ERA, I'd say, yeah, you probably turn down that 11 million option. Uh, but again, by the end of the year, he'll probably have eaten 175 innings for them. And if they don't think their pitching prospects are all the way ready, uh, that could be helpful to have. He does have a 462 ERA only strikes out about 18% of batters bit home run prone. Above average in terms of limiting walks. Not great. Otherwise, we look at the stack cast stuff. He's in the 13th percentile in terms of expected ERA, only the 20th percentile in terms of swing and miss. So uh, not elite stuff there. The trick with him is he throws six different pitches against righties. He's going to go slider, fastball, sinker, and then he'll mix in the odd curveball, change up cutter against lefties. He'll go fastball, change up, Curveball sinker, 
and then the ditch is the slider and cutter for the most part. His best pitch when we look at some of the analytics is his slider, which is a league average pitch. So he's throwing five or six, but only one of them is even league average. That tells you everything you need to know about Jordan Lyles. He's faced the Jays twice this year, given up six earned over 11 and two thirds, only eight strikeouts to four walks. He was scratched the last time he was supposed to play them. If you're looking at Jays who could have a good night, Matt Chapman is seven of 19 against Lyles with four home runs and two walks. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, both strong performances in a small sample size. Uh, Bo Bichette and George Springer, though, a combined two for 23 against them. I don't think that's going to hold. I think I'd put... I think I'd lean toward the Jays figuring that out rather than Jordan Lyles inexplicably continuing to dominate the top of the Blue Jays order. Uh, here is how Baltimore is going to line up behind Jordan Lyles, at, behind Jordan Lyles and trying to get uh, to the Blue Jays. Cedric Mullins in center field, Adley Rutschman, Anthony Santander, public enemy number one, Ryan Mountcastle, Gunnar Henderson getting another DH day uh, instead of bouncing around the infield. Ramon Urias, Rugnet Odor, Austin Hayes, Jorge Mateo. Um, this is a very versatile Orioles group in terms of left-handed, right-handed. That helps when your two best hitters, hitters in Rutschman and Santander are switch hitters. Uh, they'll also have Mullins, Henderson, Odor in there as lefties, which still leaves them two lefties off the bench. So if the Jays try to play the righty-lefty game out of the bullpen um, with when they bring Kikuchi and Meza in, the Orioles are well-equipped well equipped to pinch hit and uh, defensive replacement as needed. The Orioles were off yesterday, so their bullpen will come in uh, pretty well-rested behind Jordan Lyles. Of course, they have Felix Batista back there, Keanu Perez, Dylan Tate, Joey Crable. Um, they've got arms back there. Brian Baker, who uh, obviously we're, we're looking to see how that looks um, if he gets another chance against the Blue Jays here. Um, the Jays bullpen will be less rested the rest of this series because it's a bullpen day today, um, but we'll see how they manage this one. They're, they've they've done pretty well in the bullpen days by the standards of bullpen days. You can't be too upset with the results there. Um, the bats haven't really come around from in those games against Jordan Lyles, who you've gotten to a little bit twice this year and who is really in the grand scheme of things, just a guy. You'd hope the bats can get going certainly better than they did yesterday against Shane McClanahan and company when they got shut out. A uh, final reminder before we go tonight's game is an Apple TV plus game. It's Friday night baseball. So you'll have to get Apple TV plus if you want to watch the um, watch the game. It's free, but just make sure you give yourself uh, a little bit of time to navigate it and install it wherever you're watching. We will have the call for you, though, on the Sportsnet Radio Network. It'll be Ben Shulman alongside Ben Nicholson-Smith. Show Ali will have Jay's talk for you after the game. And a programming note here a couple days ahead. Um, I will be out of commission on Monday. So in the Jay's Talk Plus slot, Monday 3 to 5, Ben Nicholson Smith is gonna uh, gonna pinch hit. Gonna take a spot start here. Please uh, be nice to him, but just don't tell me when he comes in and is inevitably better at Jay's Talk Plus than I am. Um, thank you to well Ben Nicholson Smith ahead of time for uh, for taking over Monday. To JD Bunkus, make sure to check out his new show, the JD Bunkus Podcast, at 9 a.m. 
on Sports at 590 The Fan. Uh, thank you to Chris Young of that Apple TV broadcast for coming on and Ben Shulman for coming on, who you're going to hear at 707 First Pitch. Thanks to J.R. Monotod producing the show. Thanks to Derek Brandeo on the board. Two wonderful, wonderful people to work with. Uh, I've been Blake Murphy. I am back Tuesday at 3 o'clock for Jays Talk Plus, hopefully talking about a Jays team that has put the Baltimore Orioles a little further behind them because I'll be honest, the fourth time, fifth time you play a team, you get a little tired of teeing those games up. Have a great weekend, everyone.